you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the 4th White House Radio Network. Welcome to episode 6 of Reclaiming the Faith. A podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us. Today, I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast. In episode six, I'm going to be joined by my beautiful wife, Stephanie Baker, to have a discussion about adoption. Three years ago, Stephanie and I adopted two siblings that were ages 10 and 5 at the time. Stephanie is the author of the blog, Adopting His Heart, which you can find at adoptinghisheart.blogspot.com. If you're blessed by this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave an honest review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And also, if you have any questions please feel free to contact me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com. Or you can email me at emailphilsbaker at gmail.com. I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. In addition to our own channels, You can find each of our podcasts at the 4th Watch Radio Network website or on the 4th Watch Radio Network podcast. And finally, in 2016, I wrote a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. And if you'd like to get a a copy of it, uh, you can purchase it on Amazon. And again, if it's a blessing to you, please leave me an honest review there. All right, let's get the interview rolling. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Stephanie. It's so good to have you with me. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So um, why don't you tell the people a little bit about how you came to faith in Jesus? Uh, Well, I grew up in a Christian home. I had two parents who were very faithful attenders in church, and and they took us every Sunday. And I remember at some point when I was about six years old that all of my friends decided that they were going to become Christians. And so I just kind of followed along with the crowd and felt like I was pretty good and got a nice pat on the back and a handshake and didn't really give it a whole lot much a whole lot more thought until I was probably in high school and I went to church camp and felt a really strong like conviction from the Lord about things I've been doing and where I was heading and I remember deciding I was going to rededicate my life because if you were already a Christian and then you had to that was the next thing you did. But then I remember spending some time and really thinking about it and realizing I don't remember ever really committing my life to Jesus and really allowing him to take control. So when I was about 15 or 16, I finally decided to do that. And I mean, it's been a long journey since then. um, And, but it's been really good. I've been able to see God's faithfulness in, um, good times and bad times and just how much he cares about us. Well, that's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, we kind of have a, 
kind of a funny story a little bit about how we uh, we ended up together. So you want to tell a little bit of that story, how we got together? <laughs> sure. So um, I was in nursing school at the time. I was a senior in nursing school and I was away in Philadelphia and came back home for Thanksgiving break. And our church was on the smaller side, probably only about 100 to 150 people. And my parents had, like I said, been very involved and everybody knew who my family was. And when I would come home, I would go in with the youth group because I was still really good friends with a lot of them. And kind of when I was home, I would help out maybe teaching and things of that nature. And I walked in with one of the girls who was a senior in high school at the time and kind of was stopped by Phil almost like, hey, what grade are you in? And I remember thinking, who is this guy? He doesn't know who I am. He doesn't know that I'm a senior in in college, not in high school. And that was kind of how things started. So, And the rest is history, huh? <laughs> I guess you could say that. <laughs> Played a little Connect Four, and it was... Oh, it was, I thought you wanted just how we first met. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, oh, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. But yeah, it was great. It was great. Um, so this is a podcast that we're going to do about adoption. So um, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about uh, what made you start thinking about adoption? So as long as I can remember, um, I remember... It, at least in my years as a teenager, hearing about adoption and feeling like that that was what God wanted for me. Um, I remember just being able to picture myself adopting like from such a young age. And every time the topic was brought up, it would just bring me to tears. And I just, I felt like there was no question in my mind that this is what God wanted for me. So um, when Phil and I first started kind of getting to know each other. And when it became a little more obvious that we were going to possibly move beyond just being friends, I remember talking to you and, and telling you that, you know, I was certain that God had called me to adopt. And so if that was not for you, then maybe this relationship was not meant to be and that we should just kind of move on in our own direction. And I remember you saying something like, okay, I could see adopting one child and maybe having one biological child, but two was always your number for the number of kids you wanted. So yeah, that's kind of how I got interested in it and um, started to do more research over the years and really felt strongly about it. Yeah, so we had talked about adopting one child and then we actually ended up adopting two siblings. So what what made you want to adopt our boy and girl. What was that like? Um, Do you remember? Yeah, totally remember. I remember. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I remember we started taking the adoption classes and we learned a lot about um, the development of a child that is um, displaced from their parents, whether through foster care, through adoption, um, how a lot of times it affects their development. And I remember taking or back to a class I took in college that was human growth and development. And, um, you know, a lot of you guys are probably familiar with Erickson and one of the, the very first stage of development is trust versus mistrust. And one of the things I remember the instructor saying was that a 
a child needed someone to bond with, to form a trust relationship with. And that didn't necessarily have to be a parent. It could be a sibling. It could be a nanny. It could be a grandparent. It could be any number of people, but that in order to form or to be able to trust in the future, there had to be an establishment of a trusting relationship prior to that. So I remember feeling like, okay, well, one way to ensure that is through adopting a sibling set, kids that have been able to be together for their um, time that they were removed from their parents and really felt like that would be the best thing for the child and or for the children. And I remember talking to caseworkers and they told us, yeah, most of the kids in CPS custody, it's not a single child. It's usually a family that's been taken away from a parent or both parents. And um, so it's usually not just a single child by themselves. It's generally two or more. So um, I remember trying to win you over on the idea and <laughs> being pretty persistent with that. Um, and you came around and thankfully, because we were blessed with two pretty incredible kids, um, our son, who's the older of the two and our daughter, and she was five at the time and he was 10. Do you want to talk a little bit, bit about the, uh, the day that we actually met them? <laughs> yeah. Um, well we went through CPS to adopt and they had this event. I think it was called like hearts or something like that. It's kind of like speed dating. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. It's, it, it is a bit like speed dating, which I've never actually done, but I've seen on movies. Um, they, for children that are over the age of five, it's much harder to be adopted. And so in order to kind of, I guess, make it more accessible for potential adoptive parents, they created this event and for the kids, it's just a fun day where they play games, they have all kinds of activities, they get to do all kinds of neat things. For the parents, it's kind of an opportunity to mingle and possibly get to know a child that you may want to pursue and see if you're interested in. Uh, we met um, a couple of different kids that day, but with ours, I remember meeting them and our daughter was so tiny. I don't think she even was five yet. I think she was about to turn five. So that's why she qualified, but, um, she was just really cute and tiny and just wanted to color and was super quiet, which now we <laughs> have not seen that side of her ever again. Um, which I'm thankful for. She's, she's a huge blessing. And our son, I remember you talking to him about basketball and of course, LeBron, LeBron James specifically. And I think he was playing for the heat at the time. So everybody loved the heat back then. So I remember those kind of conversations. And then I remember talking to our caseworker about like some interest in them because they really, they, we hit it off really well. So how do you feel that adoption reflects the gospel? I think um, this tie-in of adoption to the gospel is just really beautiful. And um, I think it's, it's really cool to see how both with adoption and with the gospel that there is this picture of one who needs to be saved, one who is without hope otherwise, or without a family is actually more accurate. Um, but lacking, lacking a family and needing 
one to come in and to to provide them a home and to to change their identity in some ways, um, to give them a new name, to um, to be their source of, of love and compassion. And um, I just think it's it's a really great thing because it's not we didn't pick our kids because they were the cutest, which I think they are though, but we didn't choose them because of that or because they were the smartest or because they were the most charming. Um, we chose it because we just felt this love for them and, um, we cared about them and we wanted to see them, to see them thrive in life. So, um, with the gospel, you know, God didn't choose to save us or to die for us because, we were so fantastic on our own, but because he loved us and because in his eyes, we are pretty great. We are worthy of love and we are um, able to have a new name because of him. That's a great answer. Um, so you've written, you've written a lot of just tremendous blogs uh, that are showing to people who haven't gone through the adoptive process. It just breaks down so well. It's just step by step the process that we went through for adoption and then lots of uh, different, I guess, trials, you could say, um, different things that we've, we've learned through adoption. Um, and so I just want to encourage people again to go check out your blog, adoptinghisheart.blogspot.com. And, and we're going to highlight a few of those blogs now, just a few of them. You wrote, you wrote one called We Interrupt Your Regularly Scheduled Programming. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about that blog? Um, so I guess the reason for the title was that, um, I had begun my blogs as a chronicling of what had happened along the way. And then just sort of felt this need to kind of stop that for a little bit and take, put that on pause to address a few of the things that, uh, people say to adoptive parents or potential adoptive parents, foster parents, any of these things that can be really hurtful and, um, you know, maybe should be avoided if we can. And the, I guess the more important reason was to try to allow the person who has been offended by those comments to maybe see the heart behind that. Um, because I think it's really easy. I mean, adoption is hard. Adoption's hard work. It's great. It's rewarding, but it's hard. And, not everyone understands it. It is, it, it's becoming more popular and it's becoming much more common. But I think to the average person, it's still really confusing. And so I don't think people necessarily mean to be hurtful in the things that they say. Um, but maybe they, maybe they come across wrong. And so we need to take a step back and to not get so caught up in the wording of it, but try to see the heart behind it. All right. Well, you want to share some of, or maybe one of those, those phrases that, that can be a little bit uh, disheartening. Yeah. Um, so one of them was, I guess to quote them, you know, many of these kids are quote messed up from birth based on their genetics. So my thought when I first heard that, and I've actually been told that by people who were very educated individuals and maybe that were close to us and um, thought to myself (laughs) in 
you know, not the kindest way that maybe, okay, maybe your kids aren't so great. Why? (laughs) Just because they're biologically yours doesn't mean they're so fantastic. But I had to kind of take a step back and realize that's not me reflecting Jesus. So I didn't say those words, but um, I think that the heart behind that statement is encouraging the adoptive parent or potential adoptive parent or foster parent to really count the cost to really, I think that it's a caution from the other person to, do you understand, or to maybe take a moment to see if they really understand what this is going to mean for them. Um, I remember when we were in the early stages of the adoption process, they asked us, you know, what kind of children would be, be open to. And there's this whole list and most of them are like medical conditions or emotional conditions and all kinds of things. And um, I won't say which ones we checked and which ones we didn't, but I remember that some of them were just, um, you know, these are children that are, you know, not going to live long life or have a long lifespan or any of these things. And I'm kind of an emotional person and I, I want to say that I'm open to anything, but I think Phil in a lot of ways kind of helped me to be realistic about things and, um, I think I was just a little bit more realistic about my own (laughs) (laughs) self-centeredness. Maybe so. I was really worried about not being able to, uh, to take that on in a healthy way, but. Yeah. I I mean, I, and so uh, regardless, it's, we have to count the cost. Are we realizing what we're getting into? I mean, I want, I would love for more people to adopt, but I, more than that, I want them to be prepared when they do. Um, I don't, I think it would be horrible to bring a bunch of children into these homes just because there's this need and to not really be, um, aware of what that's going to mean for the individual, for the, for the child or children, just it, it changes things in ways that you would never expect. And I would never try to discourage people because I think it's an amazing blessing, but just to have a realistic outlook on things. And so I think that's what that individual was trying to do, was trying to show me that um, there is going to be a hard road ahead of you. And there are things that our kids have been exposed to um, or that are they're predisposed to by their biological parents. And I hate that, but um, it's part of what we had to consider when we adopted. Yeah, so it's good to encourage people to count the cost whenever they're choosing to uh, strike out on any kind of endeavor for Christ, right? I mean, Jesus asked people yeah. to count the cost quite a bit uh, when following him. There's just different ways to say things, right? There's tactful ways to say things, I guess. That's what you're kind of getting at, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, they could have easily said, like, just make sure that you understand what you're getting yourself into. And, you know, I'd love to help support you in this process, whatever that means. That would have been a little bit nicer way to say that instead of that your kids are messed up or something. But that's okay. You know, we learn to get a thick skin a lot of times when adopting. So, uh, one thing we haven't said yet is that we chose to adopt, um, two African American children. And so, uh, what I'd like to ask you is what has been one unexpected result of adopting kids of a different race? There's been several things. I mean, um, We realized when we began in the process of adoption that there was a huge need for people to adopt African-American children because they were there were so many in the system that um, were getting older and that weren't being adopted. Um, 
for various reasons. But um, my my personal experience was that, you know, I guess one, and this isn't as um, deep emotionally, but learning to do my daughter's hair was a challenge. And I have a blog about that. Um, I was blessed with some amazing friends who <laughs> showed me how uh, I had to, what I had to do to even just wash her hair or what I needed to do for care moving forward. And it was a tremendous help. And those people, I just, I can't thank them enough. And, you know, so, but I also have learned how to do some pretty basic things with my daughter's hair. Um, and it's become a time of bonding for us together. And it's been a learning process for me. And it, it helps me to help instill in her a love for um, the way that God created her. Because, I mean, I take for granted sometimes that I can straighten my hair in five minutes. And to do my daughter's hair, it's quite a commitment. And But, you know, God has made her well. And he's made her beautiful. And so I want her to embrace that. I don't want her to think that she has to spend hundreds of dollars every month to be, you know, our society's view of beautiful so that's one thing, but um, I guess a, <laughs> a not so uh, surface thing is that I've started to realize racism in places where I didn't see it before um, with like people that are near and dear to us um, saying things that really hurt, not usually to um, to be hurtful, but like not really thinking about what they say. Um, they don't really take that extra time to consider how this might affect someone of a different race. Um, we had an issue with our daughter, um, being told by a boy at school that, you know, he just hates black girls (laughs) and this is at eight years old. And we got to, uh, have a nice conversation with the school who they, they were fantastic. They were really helpful, um, handled it very well once they were aware but we also got to have a conversation with our daughter about being kind and showing kindness when people are, are cruel to you. And, um, yeah, it's unfortunate. We have to have these really difficult conversations with our kids. I didn't anticipate that moving into this nearly as much as it's become an issue. And I think we live in really difficult and dangerous times. And so, um, we're having conversations more so with our 14 year old son, but also with our daughter about just, safety and what you're going to have to do to, um, to avoid, I guess, being a target in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up with a lot of African-American friends and yeah, so I, I, I still have a lot of African-American friends. And so I, I've been, you know, well aware of, of racism, uh, here in our country, but, you know, have, having children of my own that are African-American has made me much more aware of uh, of the racism that exists, uh, even in church settings. You know, I, I remember about three years ago, um, there was a person that had been attending the church that we were at, not the church that we're at now, but uh, the church that we were at um, leading. And this person saw, or sorry, could see, I'm sure, uh, our children about 20 feet away as this person uh, walked up to shake my hand and had on a very nice jacket and i said to the person yeah hey that that's that's a really nice jacket and the person said and i'll 
I'm not going to actually say the word, but I ran an in down and took it off his back. And uh, I was just stood there with my mouth agape, you know, just I was floored. I couldn't believe what I heard. But I looked at the person very sternly and said, you know, my my children are African-American and they're right there. And the person looked and then that person's mouth became became agape uh, and they realized what they had done, how out of the heart their mouth spoke. And I looked at the person and said, you know, I forgive you, but don't, don't ever let that happen again. And, and, uh, it's kind of hard to go lead worship (laughs) about five minutes later and then preach a sermon. But, you know, it's an opportunity to extend forgiveness to someone to practice what we preach. Um, but it's, it's just really, it's just amazing. We see that kind of stuff happen even in church settings. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's just been kind of eye opening for me. Yeah. You bring up a really good point. I mean, for the role of that we have and the role that our children have are very different in these kind of settings, but God has placed us there for a reason. Our role is to be their advocate. I mean, we we're speaking from a place where we don't fully understand what they're going through, but their role is to model and to demonstrate the love of Christ, even in those difficult situations. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do too, but we use it. We can use that opportunity as a time to educate. And, um, and I've, you're speaking of not our kids, but of people who would actually mess up. Yeah. Well, and educating our kids too. I mean, so that they're aware, but educating those other individuals that like what you're saying is horrible because they, I mean, a lot of times people don't even realize what they're saying. Maybe it's because of their background. Maybe it's because of who they hang out with now, but I mean, they don't even realize how hurtful what they're saying is. I mean, most of the people we know aren't overtly racist, you know, but they may have racism hidden deep in their heart that they don't even, they don't even notice. And when it comes to the surface, we get this opportunity to show grace and kindness, but we don't just shrink back and we don't act like it's okay because it's not, and they need to change that. That's not okay. Not just because of our kids, but because these are individuals made in the image of God that they're speaking of. But Yeah, that's great. That's great. And you know, um, I don't want to leave it on like a negative note there because, you know, one one unexpected result of of us adopting African-American kids for me also has been it's just interesting when we when we walk in as a family anywhere. Oftentimes see people's eyes just light up. You, You can see people's countenance just totally change sometimes. If people are having a bad day, you can see people's moods just completely shift sometimes as you see this like picture of the gospel happen, you know, because if our kids were, were, were white and looked like us, it wouldn't really be obvious, but it's, it's pretty obvious that we adopted, you know, and, um, it just, this is not why I adopted, uh, children is to change people's moods, but it just happens. It happens so often. You see this 
this effect that it has on people's days. And uh, it's just it's just an incredible overflow, I guess. So, all right, well, um, kind of starting to to bring this home. You wrote another blog called uh, "The Savior Complex," which is, I mean, just really took off. It's gotten so many shares, over three thousand hits. Um, would you tell us a little bit about that blog, "The Savior Complex"? And as you do, maybe give us a little bit of advice for parents who are considering adoption. Yeah. Um, so with that blog, I, it was meant to be in a lot of ways very confessional because I think part of what drew me to adoption in the first place was this like great like rescue that's happening. And that's a beautiful thing, but I think a lot of times it centers on the one doing the rescuing as if it's us, <laughs> not that it's God placing children and families, but that we're bringing them out of this horrible, horrible situation and we're providing them with this picture perfect life. And obviously nobody's life is picture perfect, but, um, I think the whole point of that blog was that we have a lot of times, um, people congratulate us a lot on what we've done and tell us how lucky our kids are to be with us, <laughs> which is, pretty, pretty strange thought because the way that they got there, every child in adoption, the way that they got there was through trauma. So I don't know that they're necessarily like lucky to have us. Um, but I do feel, I feel blessed that we're able to provide them a home. So my point in writing it was to have people search their hearts and really question their motivation and what am I trying to do? Am I trying to do this so I'll get glory? Am I trying to do this so that my kid, this kid will go from being in a troubled home and being on the road to destruction to being this perfect child? Because I have to say that most kids aren't going to turn out perfect. <laughs> and um, there's going to be a lot of bumps along the way, even if they do, you know, even in the best situations. But these kids come with a lot of baggage and we need to be aware of that. So I guess it's also, you know, it's about checking our motivation, but really about realistic expectations. And, um, you know, we are, we're always hopeful. We're always, um, we try to be positive when we try to be optimistic when it comes to where things are going to go with our kids. But they, in a lot of ways, these kids that have been through this trauma have to, heal from that trauma in addition to just the regular day-to-day being a kid kind of stuff. So they have a lot to go through. And so we aren't going to be the one that saves them. And you know, this is a really, uh, it was a humbling kind of thing to realize that we can't do it on our own. And um, this is where we need God. I mean, when things really started getting tough recently, probably I guess the beginning of this year, we had some difficulty. Phil and I started being very consistent with praying together each morning before we got out of bed and spending time praying for our kids. And we realized how important that is, not only to our children, but for us as well. Um, and realizing the need for community. I mean, we we try to keep people in their lives that are um, going to be positive influences for them and that are going to help them um, to grow. And 
you know, we need, we need the body of Christ. We need these people around us. So, um, we can't do it on our own. Not even there's, you know, no parent alive that can do it on their own. We all need the support of our heavenly father and we need the support of the body of Christ. Well, that's really, really good advice. Really good advice. No, um, one of the reasons that I adopted, um, sometimes, you know, I, I, I think a little bit more with my head than my heart sometimes. And, um, I heard a statistic that there are more, there are more Christians in America than there are orphans in the world, like way, 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 way more Christians in America than there are orphans in the world. So if every Christian adopted one orphan, there would be no more orphans in the world. And, um, that just really tugged at my heart. And, uh, so that kind of helped me be okay with adopting two children because they're two of us, you know, you and I like doing, doing our part. Um, and, you know, I'd been starting to get into some of the early Christian writings and, um, there's a guy named Aristides that wrote a, uh, an apology to the Roman Empire. And he wrote this in uh, 125 AD. He said, Christians love one another. They do not turn away their care from widows. And they deliver the orphan from anyone who treats him harshly. He who has gives to him who has not. And this is done without boasting. So it's pretty neat. Um, you know, he's, he's just talking about basic loving, love, you love your neighbor, you know? And so they care for widows, they deliver orphans. And, you know, James talks about that being pure and undefiled religion. It's not like Jesus came to end religion. He came to reform it kind of, you know? And, um, so this is what pleases God. And, uh, Clement of Alexandria kind of contrasts Christians to the Romans and he says, talking about the Romans, and this is in 195 AD, he says, although they keep parrots, the pagans do not receive orphans. Rather, they expose their children who are born at home, yet they take up the young of birds. So they'll adopt young birds who have fallen out of their nests, but they won't adopt kids. So they care more about their pets than children, which is, that's kind of an indictment. I mean, you see how much, you know, Americans spend on pets is just, you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars. Uh, Where our treasure is, our heart will be too. And I love, I love my pets. (laughs) I did a podcast about my, our dog, you know, our Airedale um, last podcast, but I just, you know, I just, want to challenge you, you know, do you love, do you care more about your pets than you do orphans? I just want to challenge y'all with that. What can you do? Stephanie, I want to give you the last word. Um, what, what do you have for us? How do you want to send this out? <laughs> um, well, I guess, I mean, my, my challenge to you is to consider is adoption something that God is calling you to. And, um, 
try not to make excuses, but try to just listen to what God has for you. And, um, you know, there are so, like Phil said, there are so many kids waiting on homes and, um, here in our country even, and don't let anything be a barrier to you guys adopting. I mean, you know, sometimes adoption can come across as very expensive, but there are options that are much more affordable. Um, whether that's, you know, anytime you adopt through CPS, the adoption is free. And, um, so don't let anything stand in the way of what God is calling you to. And I just encourage you to be obedient to that and to know that whatever God calls you to, he's, he's going to equip you for that. And, and that we all need to have humility in this process because, um, it's, it's hard. It's new terrain for most of us. And, you know, there are so many people out there that are a little further down the road than you, or that may have some experience that they can offer you and just encourage you to seek those people out. I mean, the, the internet is a terrible thing in a lot of ways, but it's a really wonderful thing for creating community in a lot of ways. And, um, so I've been really thankful for folks that I've met through that. So yeah, just I encourage you to move forward. Don't, don't wait. And, um, and to have humility along the way. Would you mind praying for everybody, Stephanie, just to close us out? Sure. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for the gift that our children have been to our family, God. We thank you that um, just for the joy that they've brought to our home, and God, that there's never a boring day. And Father, I just pray that if there's anybody out there that's listening to this, that may be interested in adoption or may feel called to adoption, Father, I pray that you would um, make that calling clear to them. And I pray that they would not let fear stand in the way or finances or even family, God. I pray that they would be obedient to you. And Father, I pray that you would um, put these orphans into homes and God, that you would help us to just be faithful and obedient to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's a check that's in the mail. A paper hug and kiss. Oh, it's petty, cheap, and frail. A love so counterfeit. No different than a con. To a daughter or a son. They know, they know. What's real and what's a fraud. It's a passing hour you. When it's just a people light, oh, it's really no more true than a bold and vicious lie. When maybe what they need is someone that would see their grief and be a shoulder they can lean on when they're feeling all alone. Like no one seems to care. Is there anyone who knows? Is there anyone aware? Is there any empathy? Oh, anybody, please, yeah. From a distance, no Your love is not superficial Then your love is full of compassion Yeah, your love's a verb and a passion it's three words before goodbye After many crushing blows Oh, it's a cut that's open wide That a bandage couldn't close What used to mean a lot Is now impotent and lost its spark Without the deeds to back it up 
It's a suit and tie or dress Out of honor and respect Oh, it's the bowing of our heads As we give our Sunday best We sing on the street Someone in blatant need Instead of slowing down We look away in speed Oh, and they're feeling all alone Like no one seems to care Is there anyone who knows? Is there anyone aware? Is there any empathy? Oh from the 